listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. We are in the book of Isaiah this morning on chapter 65, toward the very end of Isaiah. And we're starting at verse 17. Here's what it says. For I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. The formal, former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. And my chosen shall long enjoy the works of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be the dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are living in a day and age when faith in institutions is at an all-time low. And most institutions out there are not really worthy of our faith. I mean, they're, they're proving us right. I don't know about you, but I have never been as fed up with the church as an institution as I am right now. I have never been as fed up with the government as an institution as I am right now. Or the press as an institution as I am right now. Down the road. You know, a few years ago, we thought these big tech companies would be institutions that maybe we could put some trust in. That ain't true. I can't point to a single institution that we used to put our faith in that hasn't lost a great deal of that faith, at least for me, and I think for the general public as well. But I've told you before, I'm a cynic or a pessimist. On my good days, I'm a pessimist. On my bad days, I'm a cynic. But it's so easy for me to be. If my expectations are low, then I can't be disappointed. And that's just how I feel. If, if I don't expect anything good to happen, then when something good does happen, then it's a pleasant surprise. And then when something bad happens, then I told you so. Hope can be a dangerous thing sometimes. Because what if the thing that I hope for doesn't come to pass? Wouldn't it have been better 
if I hadn't allowed myself to hope at all, rather than to have a hope that gets crushed. But that can be a tough way to live, right? <laughs> it's, it's not a great way to live without any hope. The Bible is clear about the fact that God's people need to hope in something. Paul says it in, in Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but hope's in the top three. We can't just cruise through life expecting the worst all of the time. Now, I wouldn't consider Isaiah to be an uplifting prophet. There are a bunch of doom and gloom chapters in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah is prophesying death and destruction and famine and plague and all kinds of stuff on the people of God for their disobedience and for on the nations around the people of God. He's not exactly an optimist either. But he ends the book on this note of hope. On this vision of what God's glorious new creation is going to be like. He's imagining God's future for God's people. He's helping us to imagine what God's future for us will be. And it's a good one. So here are some reasons, reading this passage in Isaiah, why I believe that hope is vitally important for the people of God. The first thing that hope does for us is that hope challenges us. I don't know about you, but when I start to feel hopeless, that does not inspire me to get to work. When I start to feel hopeless, I kind of shut down. Right? Well, it doesn't matter if I do anything. It's all just going to be awful anyway, so I might as well just not. That is how I get when I feel hopeless. But... When I have a vision of a future that God has, then I'm challenged to become a part of it. When I see this vision of a future where peace is the rule of the day, right? Where lions and wolves and lambs are getting along and, and lying down together. That, that inspires me to work for the, the goal of peace, when I see in, in God's word that there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in the, in the kingdom of God, that in, inspires me to want to expand my group of people, my group of influence, so that I am friends with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I want my life to be more like this, and I'm inspired and challenged to make it more like this. My idea of paradise needs to line up with what God says the good life is. I, I follow this author online named Sean Palmer. Man, Sean Palmer's the greatest. Uh, but he had this one quote from a, from a post he wrote not long, too long ago. He said, No time in my life have I been less optimistic in the organized church. But optimism is not a theological category. 
hope is. I am hopeful because I know well many of the Christ-centered people who exist as the church and in the church. Hope challenges us to be better. The difference between hope and optimism is that optimism is the belief that things will work out okay, but it's not necessarily based on anything. Hope is the trust that God won't disappoint us. It's based in the goodness of God. And so when I have a faith and a belief in the goodness of God, that inspires me and challenges me to be good myself and to work on things and to make things better. To believe that the goodness of God can outweigh the heartbreaks of life. And so hope challenges us to a stronger faith in the goodness of God. Because without the goodness of God, we wouldn't have any hope. And indeed, the, the whole first part of chapter 65 is Isaiah challenging the people of God to live up to the goodness of God in the hope of this promise that he's laid out. So hope challenges us to be better. The second thing that hope does is that hope steers us in the right direction. The other day, I was driving uh, to St. Joseph's. And I was driving um, over the bridge um, and, and where the marsh is, you know, over there um, on Abercorn Extension. And there's this part where I was on Veterans, and I was kind of going around this bridge to get on Abercorn Extension. And I noticed that there was a train going by. And I was like, is that a train? And I was looking at it, and doggone if I didn't almost drive off the bridge. Because I was looking over my shoulder at the train rather than where I was going on the road. Because, generally speaking, we go where our eyes are pointing us, right? If I'm looking in this direction and driving in that direction, it's not going to go very well. It's the same with walking. <laughs> you need to keep your eyes on the road. It's the same with any sport. You keep your eye on the ball. Right? Because if you move your head from where the ball is, you're not going to be, your swing's going to be off. It's the same with hope. We need to keep our eye on the prize, keep our eye on where we're going so that we can start steering in the right direction. So Isaiah lays out in this, a vision of peace. He's looking at this world where peace is laid out, where, where not even animals are, are fighting each other. Now, I hope that this isn't a literal vision of peace because I can't imagine a future where there isn't barbecue. So there's got to be some, some way to kill an animal in God's future. I've just got to believe it. But, but this, this vision of peace is so thorough in Isaiah that, that even the animals aren't fighting. And so if, if God's good life is a life of peace, then how can we be people of violence? 
right? We, we need to steer in the direction of peace because that is the direction that God's taken the world. So the more that I focus on, on violence, the more violent images that I take in, the more violent thoughts that I have, the more violence that I perpetrate on other people, the more I'm not steering toward the life that God wants for the world. I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution. But if I keep my eyes on the hope of God's future where peace rules the day, then I can steer in the direction of peace in my life. Isaiah's vision of the good life focuses on plenty. They're talking about a world where people build houses and inhabit them. Where they plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They don't waste their time building houses for other people, but, but they... But that sounds bad. You can build houses for other people, but they don't get build houses that get taken over by other people, that get, that get stolen from them. All of their work is, is good, and they're living in a land of plenty where we can share. And if so, if God has a, an idea of the future for people that's based on an idea of where everybody has plenty, then why am I focused on greed for myself? Because the more I focus on hoarding my own stuff and greed, the less I am living into a world where everybody has plenty. That's the kind of world where God is taking us. So am I part of the solution or am I part of the problem? Isaiah's vision of the good life is, a, is a, a vision of rejoicing. I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. God has a future for us filled with joy. So often, I focus on being somber. Now, that doesn't mean it's not okay to be sad. It doesn't mean it's not okay to be mourned. To, to mourn and, and to, to feel our feelings and we're sad. But are we wallowing in sorrow? Are we wallowing in despair? Or are we cultivating joy in our lives? Because there's no point in wallowing in despair when God's future for us is a future of joy. So feel your feelings. It's okay. Be sad if you're sad but cultivate joy in your life because that's the direction that God is steering you. And if we keep our eyes focused on the sad and the somber, if we keep our eyes focused on violence, if we keep our eyes focused on greed, then we're not looking at where God is taking us. Properly oriented, hope in the goodness of God points us into a direction where we live out that goodness ourselves. Hope steers us in the right direction. So hope challenges us to do good. Hope steers us in the right direction. The third thing that hope does is that hope keeps us going. The best book I've read all year, and maybe even in the past few years, is a book called Everything Sad is Untrue. And it's by a guy, a guy, by a guy named Daniel, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. It's like 
Nigosi or something like that. But it, it is incredible. So he, it's a story of this boy who was born in Iran. And he tells all these stories about his heritage in Iran, his grandparents, and how they were wealthy farmers, and, and kind of all the stuff that's happened in his family. And this is a spoiler alert for this book. I'm sorry if you want to read it, but I'm going to spoil it for you a little bit. His mom converts to Christianity, and his family has to leave Iran. And eventually they immigrate to America and live in Oklahoma, and have a bunch of other problems. So it's kind of the story of, of how this boy moved from Iran to Oklahoma and, and his experience as an immigrant, new Christian boy in Oklahoma. But there's this one part in the book where Daniel and his family are in between places. They've already left Iran, but they haven't gotten into America yet. And so they're at this refugee camp in Italy. The refugee camp is called Hotel Barba. And he tells these stories about how everybody there is just lost. All they do is sit around all day and, and get served three meals and just wait to be assigned into a country where they can move to. And he describes it as a hopeless place. Because the people in the surrounding villages in Italy don't want to have anything to do with them. They don't accept them. So they keep the people at an arm's length. So the people just sit at Hotel Barba all day long and wait to get assigned a place to live. And he, he wonders, his marvels at his mom because his mom does not seem to get the hopelessness. She's always hustling. She, at, at one point, she gets them uh, used school books from a missionary family over there and starts and keeps them in school so they keep learning. And she has to erase all of the other kids' answers in these workbooks so that they can do the workbooks themselves and so that they can actually learn something during their time in this refugee camp. And here's how he says his mom staved off that hopelessness. He says, imagine you're in a refugee camp and you know it'll be a year or more before anything happens. It's going to be a tough year. But for the person who thinks, at the end of this year, I'm going to be somewhere to be free, a place without secret police, free to believe whatever I want and teach my children. And you believe it'll be hard, but eventually you'll build a whole new life. That's like winning the lottery. It's like saying you'll get $100 million at the end of the year. But if you're thinking that every place is the same, and there will always be people who abuse you, and about how poor you'll be at first, the sadness overtakes you. It's like saying you'll get soup and a sandwich at the end of the year, and that's it. Here's the thing. You'll both have the same year at Hotel Barba. But one of you will be looking around with joy and anticipation, wondering what you can do to prepare your kids for the new world. And the other will be slumped in the courtyard, surrendered to the idea that it's all one long river of blood. I don't know which belief is true. Nobody does. But what you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. And that's how she did it. That's how his mom kept them going during their year at Hotel Barbara. That's incredibly inspiring to me. Hope keeps us going. 
you'll have the same year, the same 365 days in the same place, but the person who has hope will persevere, and the person that has no hope will languish. The title of the book is Everything Sad is Untrue. And it comes from a, a line in a, a Tolkien book where they're talking about the ultimate hope for the world. And, but that's exactly what this chapter of Isaiah is about. It's about everything sad coming untrue. The saddest thing you can imagine, a child who lives but a few days, is untrue. It never happens in the new creation. It never happens in the future that God has for us. A loved one who lives a long time but dies, it never happens. Because everything sad in God's new world stops being true and only the good things remain. I love how he says, the former things won't even be remembered. I, I can just imagine a conversation in the new creation where someone says, you remember what it was like to feel depressed? And his buddy says, no, nah, not really. <laughs> remember what it was like to mourn the loss of a loved one? No, I forgot about that. I don't think we'll be nostalgic for that stuff. And the thing about our world today is there are people out there that want to keep you hopeless. There are people out there that want to make sure that you don't hope unless you buy their product or vote for their politician. We're all sick of the ads, right? We're like, Washington is terrible. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. And then the, the happy music plays. But if this guy gets elected, then you'll, all your problems will be over, right? Everything is hopeless unless you vote for my guy. And it's like, oh, that's not true. They're all the same. Everybody wants to keep you hopeless so that they can sell you a false hope. Jesus wants to keep you hopeful because of the goodness of God. Hope for what is real. God is going to make everything sad untrue one day. And if we keep that in front of us in times like these, then we can steer our lives toward it. We can let it challenge us to be better and to step up. And we can keep pressing on in faith that our efforts will not be in vain. Because one day, God will make everything sad untrue when Jesus comes again in glory. The thing about it is, we can't bring God's future about on our own. We can't work hard enough to make things better. But God can. And we can participate in that redemptive work by looking forward to the good things that God's going to do. And so we get to be people of peace in a world full of violence. We get to be people of comfort in a world full of hope. We get to be people, or I'm sorry, get to be comfort in a world full of sorrow. We get to be people of hope in a world full of despair. I don't know where you've been lately. I don't know if you have been hopeful or hopeless. But today, let's commit to renewing our hope in Jesus. 
and to steering toward the kind of life that a good God has for us. So if you've felt hopeless lately, I want to invite you to come to the altar during our final song and ask God to give you hope. Let's pray. Jesus, there's this, this beautiful picture of the kind of life that you want for us. A life full of plenty and joy and peace. God, give us the courage to be people who steer our lives in that direction. Show us what it's like to be a people of hope as we live out our days so that we can be looking around for opportunities to make our world just a little bit more like you would have it. In your name I pray. Amen.